it wasn't planned. Like if, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, or you can have a furniture making company, I would have said like, no way. But here we are. That's the voice of Marina Massa, co-owner of BA Furniture. And I'm excited to talk with her right after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Jobber. Jobber is software to organize and manage your business. From quoting a project to getting paid to everything in between, Jobber software brings everything together to make projects easy to manage and customers happy, giving you more time in your day and getting you paid faster. Go to getjobber.com Ethan or check out the link in the show notes for a free 14-day trial of Jobber. And if you try it now, you get 20% off your first six months when you sign up. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Marina Mazza, co-owner of the Melbourne, Australia-based furniture company, BA Furniture. Now, BA Furniture is run by both Marina and her co-owner, Rocky. But in a situation well-known to busy furniture companies, Rocky got called away last minute to deal with a project, and Marina seamlessly filled in to share both of their stories. And that right there is a perfect snapshot of Marina and Rocky's business, both of them working together to turn their company from what started as a simple pastime into the incredibly successful business that you see today. Follow along as we talk about why customer service should be the core of your business, how to balance sustainable building practices in your pricing, the importance of support between co-owners, and much more. So let's start the show and talk with Marina about the journey of her and Rocky and their company BA Furniture in her own words. So yes, I'll speak on behalf of both Rocky and I. We're originally from Argentina. Um, We came to Australia together in... 2011. Our encounter with furniture making uh, was a bit by chance. I call it a serendipitous event that happened here in Australia, although it seems like things were like it was meant to happen sometimes, I think. Back in Argentina, Rocky, uh, straight out of school, he worked for like four or five years at a shop that they built custom windows and doors and the, the frames. He learned a lot of the basics of the trade there, got exposure to the tools, all the machinery, like basic joints. And so I guess that was the foundation probably. Uh, after that, he moved on to um, corporate. So totally different jobs, nothing to do with furniture. In my case, I'm a qualified dietitian. So I worked in healthcare over there. And then we both together moved to Australia Um, because I was pursuing some more studies in public health. So I did a master's here. So nothing to do with furniture, it didn't cross our minds. I've always been a really crafty person. So I love doing lots of things with my hands, like not just furniture, anything. Pottery, I don't know, I love cooking and making, uh, making lots of like baking and using my hands to do different things. So here in Australia, I did the masters. Uh, we continue on with our lives. Rocky, Rocky worked in so many jobs when we first got here. It's like I can't even tell you. His level of English was was basic at the time, so obviously that restricts what you can apply for. So he did a lot of factory work, and yeah, probably three years, three four years 
since we got here, I decided to make a short course of furniture making with a friend because it was something that I always wanted to do. I had these memories of my, my granddad at his shed, always building something, fixing something for the house, sanding. I remember him sanding a bench at home and me helping him. I don't know, I was probably 10. And I was always into that. Love helping him when, where I could. So I started that furniture making course. It was a short course. And the, the goal of the course was to build a bedside table. And I loved it. I was so excited. I think it was, um, it was once a week. I remember I was waiting for that day to come. I, at the time I was working hospitality plus finishing my studies. And um, yeah, so after that, I was so excited with the bedside table. If you look at it now, I'd be like, what is that? Uh, <laughs> how I was so excited about that. But anyway, uh, I guess that gave me exposure also to the tools, to um, some basic skills. I learned the language because um, I can speak English, but I had no idea how to say anything related to, to furniture making in English or probably Spanish. So I learned all that. And after that, we bought some basic tools like a hand planner, saw, um, sanding machine, that really, really basic, some chisels. And I remember telling Rocky, all right, let's go get some pads and let's build an outdoor table for us, for our apartment. So we did that. We were so excited again. It was, I mean, we had it for like two years, so it wasn't too bad. But, <laughs> but when I look at it now, yeah, um, probably wouldn't have it now. After that, Rocky started to get more into it as well. And he was working at the time at a factory. It was shift work. So he was doing afternoon shift. So he had the mornings uh, completely free. And by that time, I was already working in health. So in my industry. So I was working a nine to five job. So in the mornings, he started doing a lot more with timber. So we started buying planks that were already dressed and ready to use because we obviously didn't have the machinery uh, and we built a table for ourselves with teal legs that we bought all made and painted and everything and uh, I think we had it for a while and then I was like oh we, we weren't super happy with it or how some things looked so we were like let's let's build another one so I put it on Gumtree which is uh, like the eBay equivalent in Australia for used things and it bought straight away. And I forgot to remove it from country. So I started getting inquiries about, oh, can I have this in, in these dimensions or in, or in this size? And I'm like, oh, what, what, if, what if we do another one? And we, we, I just say, yeah, you can have it. And we make it and we sell it again. Uh, so we did that. And more people started inquiring. So the more inquiries we get, the more we build without any, um, complex machinery like we didn't have a jointer we didn't have a panel saw we didn't have any of that we were working from the um, from the balcony of our apartment uh, in Fitzroy if you've ever been to to Melbourne Fitzroy is it's like five minutes from the city from the CBD and uh, it's a very hipster trendy neighborhood and we had this massive balcony so we were working from there and I remember Rocky sanding for like three hours probably and someone from a um, 
from the balcony, just the building across the road from us was like, hey, mate, are you going to be standing for, <laughs> for too long? Or how many hours are you going to be standing for? And we were like, oh, no, another, I don't know, another five minutes. That's it. The, like hats off to the neighbors there who, um, who were really patient with us. We shouldn't have been doing that. Um, but everyone was really cool. And yeah, after that, we started selling a bit more. I remember people coming to our apartment to check tables, which was really weird. Like, I, I don't know, it would feel weird going to someone else's house. And then Rocky decided that it was, it got to the point where it was time to, uh, for him to stop working. We decided to, to take the risk. So I would still work in my job. So if anything happened, we still have my income, which was regular. And then, yeah, he's top his factory work. He got together with one of his mates who was helping him at the time and, and they opened the business and yeah, it all started from there. So it wasn't, it wasn't planned. Like if, if he would have asked me 10 years ago, or you can have a furniture making company, I would have said like, no way, but here we are. And yeah, it's been, it's been a good journey, I think. It sounds like a good journey. It sounds like you had a lot of fun along the way. And I know that there was probably a lot of very hard times and a lot of mm-hmm. stressful times and a lot of struggles, but the passion in your voice, at least looking back at it in the memories about it and hearing your passion talking about it now means that you still have a love for the trade. You still have a love for furniture making. And I really liked when you were saying that you had learned English, but you hadn't learned the language of furniture making in either of the languages. And I get that. I I understand that feeling. I know that it's a different language than the everyday conversations that you have. And that's why I really enjoy talking with people who who speak that language, who understand that it's a different world. We had a lot of fun along the way. It's a good feeling of where we've come, like from where we started to now. We also, like you said, had a lot of tears and um, difficult times where obviously we didn't start with a huge investment. Uh, we had to build a capability. So Rocky started to make connections to get exposure, to, to learn more about the trade, the skills. And, uh, and I guess it was a slower process, uh, which makes it a bit harder. It takes more time. Like, I don't know how long Rocky was without earning a salary, for instance, basic things, getting a business plan and trying to handle different things at once. But anyway, it, it all worked out and we are, um, yeah, we, we're in a good place now. People struggle with making that decision. When should we jump in and say, now we're a furniture company. And I really like that it happened to you by accident where you yeah. just left the listing up and didn't take it down and people yeah. start and people started buying your furniture. You know, if you would have taken it down, then who knows, you know, that might've been a very short lived furniture company, but you left it up and people started buying it and you started getting more and more clients and 
that is as good a way as any to start a successful company. Absolutely. And that's why I think sometimes this was meant to happen. Yeah. If I, if I would have taken that ad down, then nothing, like it would have been just that one table saw and then that's it. We would probably have a new table for ourselves and, and that's it. And I, I guess I also have to give a lot of credit to Rocky. So I'm, I'm a bit more risk averse and of course going like starting your own business, leaving your work. It, it can be hard. I would have said no, potentially. Rocky was the one pushing for it. And I was like, fine, I'll support you. But I guess it takes a lot of guts and 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 trusting yourself, like being confident that it's going to go well and your skills as well to do it. And that's why I guess so many, many people um, don't go into this kind of business and or they want to, but never, never happens because you, um, you just need to dive into it, be willing to do it. You do. You need to you need to push forward and you need to decide mm -hmm. that this is what you're going to do. And then you need to put everything into it. I love the picture of you both starting your company on your balcony and your, <laughs> your neighbors, instead of telling you to turn the TV down, they're telling you to to turn the Sanders down. And it's a it's a it's a great and romantic picture of the start of a company, but to move forward and to actually be able to fulfill all the orders that were coming in, you needed mm. to move to a different space. So what did that look like in the beginning? Were you just taking custom orders or did you decide that you had a product line that you wanted to put out and really focus on building that up? At the beginning, I think we only had like two products. I think we had like, or maybe three, we had one or two dining tables, which were the ones that we had built for ourselves initially. And then we had TV unit and that was all. And it didn't sell a lot. I mean, we didn't even have a website to start with, or we had one, but it was really basic. We were only starting on Instagram as you do when you start. You don't have a lot of photos of your products until you start selling. Quite a few of them so we were also taking a lot of custom orders which it was a bit challenging at the beginning because to build anything that is custom made in custom design you it's not something that you're familiar with so you have to improvise a lot as you go try to uh, figure out the best way to build it and all that so it would take quite a lot of hours but yeah we we also didn't have a lot of machinery like we had the basic stuff so uh, we started really slowly with just the basic things that you need to to build something that was of quality but it would take us a lot more time because of that as well and we went slowly I guess but it was we were lucky uh, I guess that people were also coming to to us having so many other furniture companies around here like I would say that Melbourne in, in Australia Melbourne is a bit of the the state where there's a lot of furniture making companies here. It's like in comparison to all the other states, it's mostly in Victoria. So a lot of competition. Um, so it can be quite hard to start in, in the industry. But um, yeah, I think we, we, we had a bit of luck there involved too. So what do you think drew people to your furniture, to your company in the beginning when you didn't have a large portfolio of work? You didn't have... Mm -hmm all the the glamorous photos of pieces to show what 
what was it that you put out into the world to get people interested to start building that client base? I think it was a combination of things. So our designs at the time weren't amazing. So I wouldn't say that people were drawn to us because of the designs of our furniture. I think it was because of the quality of the furniture that it was really good quality, handmade from the start with really good prices. We were, um, our prices were a lot lower at the time when we started. Um, so that combined with the good quality, I think it was a, a good selling point and also um, customer service, I'd say. Uh, Rocky is amazing and, and myself as well. I'll, I'll take some credit too. We really make sure that customers, that we develop a good relationship with our customers, they're treated well, that we understand what they want. So I guess that really helped. We started getting a lot of good reviews, referrals and so forth. So um, that helped grow, grow our customer base. Having great customer service is the core of a business because clients are the people who give you the money and you can't forget that. You have to always remember that no matter how hard a build is in the shop or no matter how much you're struggling with a design or scheduling or any number of things that can happen in a business that you always have to put the client first because end of the day, that is how your business is still moving forward because you're getting paid for the work that you're doing. Yes. And I think you can have an amazing product, really high quality, but if your customer service is really poor, you're not going to get too far. I've always said that like we have a strong focus on, on customer service. Uh, I'm not sure where, if, if that's something that we that skill we acquired when we both work a little bit in hospitality here in Australia. But yes, we think it's equally important to have a great product, quality materials, as well as building strong relationship with your customers and building that trust. And I think we do this pretty well. I think it's reflected in all the reviews and the feedback we get. We have a lot of repeating customers who come back to us for more uh, furniture pieces and a lot of referrals as well. And I remember when we started this business and like I was saying before, I'm a bit risk averse. So I was uh, talking to Rocky and saying that a weakness of, of this industry or this business is that you don't get a lot of product turnover just because it's furniture, they're big pieces, particularly what we do, which is meant to last for a long time. So it's not the flat pack furniture, which you, after two years, I don't know, you're tired of it, you get something else. What we do is quite expensive as well. So I was saying, Rocky, oh, customers are going to buy only once for, from us and that's it. And I think, um, yeah, it's been proving me wrong uh, during the years. Like people do come back for more and more pieces and yeah, refer us to the friends, family or whoever. That is a strange problem to have as a business. And if you work in the food industry and you make a great product, people are going to come back because they've eaten it yes. and they want to eat it. Or if you work at a hotel, people want to come back and visit. Mm -hmm. Or if you work in other industries, people consume what you're doing and want more of it. But the furniture industry is a little bit different because your goal is to make 
heirloom quality furniture, furniture that's going to last not only for your client's lifetime, but for lifetimes to come. And that makes it hard to have somebody buy two dining room tables because people don't have two dining rooms usually. So when you're doing something like you guys offer, which is product-based, people aren't necessarily going to buy multiple pieces, but you with your customer service and your quality of furniture found a way to have people outfit their entire homes in your pieces. So that is a very delicate tightrope to walk. And I'm glad that you've, you've done so well with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been, it, it, it is a surprise. And sometimes uh, people who bought, I don't know, two, three things from us, they come to buy more. I'm like, how, how many different pieces can you have in your own home? But yes, yeah, like different rooms. And I guess it all comes back with the trust. Like they, they trust us and um, we, we get to establish that relationship. They know the quality of the products, but they also know us as, as persons. They know that we know them as well and, and what they want. So yeah, it all comes back to, to customer service, I think. The trust and the customer service is great, but if you don't have a quality product that mm, yeah. that you can stand behind and that you can give to people, then it doesn't matter how great your customer service is, people aren't going to come back to you. So let's jump into the actual furniture building part. And your company really puts forward the idea of certified sustainable materials in the lumber that you use to build and also eco-friendly finishes. And that is one way to stand out in an industry that can have very disposable products and using disposable material, but it's also a hard thing to do because you're taking something that already has a high price point. Quality furniture is already more expensive than run-of-the-mill furniture, and then you're adding this new wrinkle these sustainable practices, when did that become important for you in your company to work in this way? And how have you seen it affect your sales in general? I think uh, that's always been important for us. Like it's important in our daily life. We are very conscious about what we buy, trying to um, be as sustainable as we can in, in our daily life and daily habits. So I think it was something that it was important from the beginning. Uh, at the beginning, we weren't buying like certified, sustainable certified timber, but, and I can't tell you when, probably when when we started like getting proper feed out of the, of the workshop and all that, it was when we had a discussion saying, all right, I think it's important for us to, to try to, um, to minimize our footprint in this planet. I mean, we, um, it is quite horrible what we've done as humanity to, to our planet. So uh, instead of adding to it, because timber, obviously you need trees um, to, to build the furniture, let's, uh, let's try to minimize it as much as we can. So uh, yeah, that's when we started 
trying to find all right what are the products that we can use that would will be comfortable using yes the pricing it does affect pricing um, because they are a bit more expensive and i guess it reduces the reach of our customers but we're seeing that people more and more they, they are conscious about what they buy where they buy it from and already the price point of custom timber furniture is targeted as a particular audience. So I guess it didn't change much the uh, the number of our production, the number of orders we're getting. If anything, probably we started targeting the right people that we needed to target. So people that were really conscious about the, had the same principles, conscious about the environment and, and could afford it and and we're happy to spend probably a bit more, but ensuring that everything was as sustainable as we can make it. And also that they were supporting a local business, I guess, because we built everything from scratch. So yeah, I, I don't think I don't think we've seen a massive, massive difference, but maybe because it's been like this since we pretty much started. The choices that you make as a company are just as important as the pieces that you make because that's what differentiates you in a sea of furniture businesses and not saying that one choice is better than the other and not saying that one decision is better than the other it's really up to the people who are running the companies but you do have to make those choices because you can't always straddle the center line. You have to decide where your off ramps are and take them and take your company to where you want it to be because you can't please everybody all the time. So you might as well be making the company for yourself doing what you want to do. And like you said, you made those decisions. And because you did, you found a more core customer base. You found people who respected what you were doing and would buy because of that reason. Yes, because of the quality furniture and the customer service, but because you made those choices and you showed people who were looking for furniture, this is what makes my business stand out. This is why we're different. And this is why you should purchase from us instead of every other company that is on the street. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think we probably don't use it as a as much as a selling point as we should. Like we should probably use it a bit more so that people know that the, those are our practices, our beliefs, and and one of the reasons probably for for the pricing. But um, yeah, I don't. I think we've been um, like this early on from from the start, pretty much. So we probably surrounded ourselves with that type of customers as well. I guess on the flip side, now, if I go back to your original question and, and how that affected us in terms of our customer base, probably it has affected us in that we don't get a lot of commercial contracts, uh, like to supply large, I don't know, hospitality venues with all the feed out, or that's when you need, or they're looking for a really good price point, and there's only so much we can we can do about it because our materials are already quite expensive because of all this but it's something that yeah like you said it's a choice that we've made and it's still working for us anyway 
yeah, it's a choice you made and you stand by it. And yes, you might not be getting those large contracts that they want bottom line prices, but that's not the company that you're striving to achieve. You're looking to make handcrafted to order pieces that have your standards attached to them. And there's no reason to change what you're doing to chase another part of the industry that isn't what you've built on. So with that said, pricing, you have a product line of furniture, you have a collection of furniture, and it's a pretty impressively large product line. And all of those, you need to attach prices to them. So let's talk about your pricing and and where the prices are coming from. I guess, I think pricing was probably the area that we struggled a lot with at the start of the business. Uh, We found it really challenging and maybe because we didn't have experience working in, in a furniture shop or in a similar industry before. So we, we kind of struggled to understand how to go about calculating pricing for, for all these different things, like you said, different products and, and ensuring we were covering all our expenses and the costs. So we are a good, good place now, thankfully, after six years. Um, so what we do is uh, we obviously have the cost of all the materials involved in, in, in the furniture building process and the cost of labor per hour. So when we design a piece or if it, if it is um, a custom piece that we're making for, for a client, we determine how many hours we think it's going to take us and how much material we need. That can be pretty simple thing to do for things like timber, where it's easy to calculate how many planks you need or the linear meters, and then you just use that and you go and buy that. But um, it might be a bit difficult for all the other things that are involved in, in the furniture, like the finishes, resin, gluing, or the hardware. So we have a bit of an average cost for that depending uh, depending on the sizing and we also add the overheads and and yeah and the number of hours and that's how pricing comes about I would say that in in our area we're we're kind of mid mid-range in terms of pricing there's a lot of other furniture makers who are a lot more expensive and there's also quite a quite a lot that are cheaper than us and like I said before we didn't start with the prices that we have now so I think our hourly rate when we started the business was probably half of what it is now, if not more. And we didn't have as many overheads or we weren't calculating them correctly. <laughs> we didn't use the same materials. So the prices were a lot cheaper, but we've grown since then. We've evolved. We tried and tested different products and, and found what works for us, what we are happy with in terms of quality, and I guess we value our work and experience as well a bit more now. Your company is is sort of a, a hybrid of custom and collection. And yeah. that is is an interesting place to sit because you have your collection of furniture and you have the basic sizes and the basic pricing, the starting at pricing for each one of those. And you can buy that exact piece, but you also offer customization. So 
when a client comes to you and they've looked at your pieces and they say, I want this style in this size because that's what's offered. What's the next step for you? How do you work with the client to decide if they want that piece just as it is or if they want some customization to it? So most clients want customization to it. So they want, and by customization, I mean, we have our design and then they change, they decide on the dimensions, the configuration, whether they want, I don't know, drawers, doors, open shelves of a particular unit and positioning. I don't know if there is an, an open space to the one in the middle or the right or the left. So those kind of things which for us, we find it quite easy to accommodate because we already, those are our designs. We're used to building them. We created them. So it's a matter of just changing those things. And pricing, we obviously have a, have a spreadsheet with all those costs. So we just change that based on what the customer wants. What can be a bit more challenging is when people come with a custom order for a custom design that is not our design at all. That's when you don't know how many hours it's going to take you, a particular design. You can, you can have a, a good guess uh, based on what you see, on the experience that we have and what we think it's going to take us. But it's all learnings. But um, yeah, the, the challenge is when it's a custom design that we're not used to. That, that can be the struggle. But uh, we, we try to sell our products as much as we can our designs. It happens as well that sometimes we have a design that we haven't sold in years and all of a sudden it, it sells. We had one recently of a table that I think we haven't, hadn't built it in, in like a year or two. And again, we go like, oh, how, how was it with this table? Uh, so maybe it, it took us a bit more time but than, than usual, but um, yeah, apart from that, I guess that's also a bit of a beauty of making things handmade from scratch. I know that feeling, the, the feeling of an order coming in for something that you haven't built in a long time. Pictures on the internet live forever, or if you build something that is quality and it stays in somebody's home, sometimes people order it. And I've had orders from 10 years ago that pop up that I say, now we have to work backwards and find find out how to make that. So I, I totally understand what you're saying. And let's jump to your actual shop. And you have employees. And having employees in a company is a hard thing because when you started, when you were sanding on your balcony, I'm sure you weren't thinking, I need to learn how to build furniture and I also have to learn how to manage employees. But when you continue to scale up, you needed to bring other people on. So let's talk about managing employees and how have you found a good balance between showcasing your dreams and your designs and your build and putting them in other people's hands to actually physically build them? I think um, it can be quite challenging when, when it gets challenging when you have employees and, um, and manage them. It takes most of your time, I'd say. Rocky is the one that is mostly at the workshop and 
dealing and working with our employees. So he's the one doing the bulk of the of the work in terms of managing the employees. And we were lucky that before before we started this business furniture, he worked for uh, two three years at a factory here in Australia where he was a, a shift manager. So he had quite a, um, a a number of of employees that he was responsible for, and. He learned a lot from that. You know, when you when you do some jobs where you think, oh, I'm just doing this because I need to pay the bills. I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I'm getting anything out of out of it. But I think, and that's probably what we thought at the time of, of that job. But looking back to it now, and over over the years since Rocky started the business, he got a lot of the foundations in terms of employees and, and other things as well from, from that position at the factory. So that, that came handy. In terms of, I would say that he spends most of his time managing the employees. So either teaching them how to do stuff, like you said, showing the designs that we create and, and how to build them so that they uh, are built to our standards and reflect what we want them to reflect. Teaching about customer service. Um, so it it can be time consuming and and sometimes we think, oh, we, we may be better off with Rocky just building the furniture himself because he's got the skills and spending more time at the factory doing that. But sometimes you also get to the point where uh, you actually need some help. You, you need other people to ramp up the production. The, the way we go about building the furniture, it's a bit, we, um, Rocky splits, once we get an order for something, all right, they're, they're fairly easier jobs, um, like the sanding, the dressing of the planks and the timber, they go to the apprentice and he works with the apprentice to um, to teach him how to do all that properly and overly, obviously oversee his work. And then the build of the framing, any legs, drawers, uh anything that is a bit more complex then it's done either by rocky or the other experienced employees it is so it is so sometimes frustrating or hard or i don't i don't know the right word because it's not a bad thing but it's a a strange feeling to to scale your company and to put it in other people's hands because you go from living and breathing every single moment of your day being a furniture maker, and then you switch to becoming a boss, a furniture business boss. And it's a totally different job. So I understand where you're coming from because it's totally a different job description. And not only does the person you're hiring get a new job with you, but the second you hire them, then you get a new job as well and you become the boss and you need to draw from all your different experiences, whether it's a job that you worked at before that you managed people or remembering a boss that you really liked or even drawing from interacting with friends and family or new people that you meet and you need to take all that and put it into a nice little package and then call that you being the boss. And so 
I totally hear what you're saying as well, where you take all your experiences and ones that at the time you thought were just complete throwaways, but you take those and you take all the important parts from them, the good and the bad, and you sculpt them into who you are as a business owner. Yeah, it is. Uh, I actually never reflected on that until um, now that you asked that question. But yes, there's so many, many little jobs that we've worked here in Australia that at the time we didn't think any of that. Uh, like I said, it was just a, yeah, like a throwaway job just to pay the bills and that's it. But now we realize that we actually learned a lot from either the job or um, some of the managers that we had. So yeah, it's made us who who we are at the moment, how we behave as business owners, how we behave with our employees and with our clients as well. It's all a part of your journey. And when you started this, you had no idea where it was going to go. But now that you're here and looking back, you can say every single part of this journey, good and bad, made the company to what it is today. Now, there are a lot of people who are listening to this who want to start their own furniture company. Maybe they're furniture makers already, or maybe they just like the idea of furniture and want to get into it, want to jump in with both feet. And there's also people who have been doing this for a long time and feel like they have a good handle on their business, but also don't feel like they're getting as much from their business as they want. So for those people, looking back on your journey, on your story and how you got to be successful today, what's some advice that you could share with people looking to follow in your footsteps? I think the best advice I could give is don't be scared of following your passion. If it is something that you're passionate about and, and, and it's what you want to do, it'll show in your work and it'll work out. So it's probably a bit cliche, but, <laughs> but I think it's, it is right. I, I was scared at the start. Uh, I, I am one to, like I said, I'm risk averse. I am scared of just taking the plunge and say, all right, let's drop everything, do it. Rocky pushed me to that. He is so passionate. He is the main furniture maker. So I, I make furniture sometimes, but I mostly help with all the admin side of things. So I, I see his passion. Like I, he works, who knows how many hours per week sometimes. And, and he's still so happy. We were on holidays uh, three weeks ago or so. And he was like, oh, I think I'm ready to go back to work. Like, who says that? <laughs> but um, it shows, it shows in his work, it shows in, uh, in his interactions with our customers. And, and I think that's our, uh, that's our strength. On the flip side, also, you have to have a lot of resilience when you start your own business, because it's, it's not easy. It's not that you go to a job nine to five, you finish, you, you you close your laptop or your computer and you're done for the day. It just never ends. Right now, talking to you, I have my newborn daughter sleeping. The other one in childcare who I just drove to, Rocky's working. When they sleep at night, when we put them down, we're both working, answering emails, fixing things on the website. In the middle, we try to make this, like social media posts and all that. So 
it it can be a handful, um, but you don't get a break. But it it is at the same time it's very rewarding. You are doing what you want. You're seeing your success of how you're progressing. And so, yeah, just no, let's do another cliche work. Just do it. <laughs> they're they're cliches for a reason. People say them all the time for a reason because at the heart of it, no matter how you say it, it's true. Following your passion and and jumping in and doing it. Yes, you have to be careful sometimes. Yes, you have to understand what you're doing. And, and yes, not everything that you want in your heart manifests as truth in the world, but you got to try. If that's what you want to do, then you have to put all of you into it so you can get results out of it. So I do appreciate hearing your and Rocky's journey and and how you built this company and how you built this business with all the things you said were that could have been setbacks, but you built on them and you took them in stride and you built this company into what it is today. So thank you for sitting down with me and for talking with me and sharing your story. And I truly do appreciate everything you've shared with us. And I just want to say, I wish you both best of luck moving forward in your business. Thank you. Then it's been um, our pleasure to, to be here with you. It's been a really good experience. Thank you, Ethan. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.